Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. This week, we've got a very special episode. I chatted with Brian Scary from Nat Geo, and he's doing a docu-series with Disney called The Secrets of Whales. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Hope you guys enjoy it. Hey, Erica. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Doing really well. How's your day going? It's going pretty good so far. Good, good, good. Well, thanks for doing this. Of course. Thanks for being on here. My pleasure. Awesome. Um, I watched your films and they're incredible. That's so exciting. Oh, um, can you tell us about some of the inspiration behind uh, the films? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I created Secrets of the Whales uh, over the last several years, essentially over the last decade. When I did my last big whale project for National Geographic, I did a, a story in 2008 for National Geographic magazine about right whales, uh, looking at the most endangered species of whale in the world, the North Atlantic right whale, and comparing and contrasting them to their southern cousins, the southern right whales. And since that time, I became really interested in doing a multi-species story about whales, but the challenge was what was the narrative? How would I connect the dots between these various species? And I was reading a lot of the science and talking to researchers and this notion of culture was emerging. Some of the latest and greatest science that was being published about whales was sort of talking about the fact that like humans within genetically identical species of whales, they were doing things differently. So one of the uh, biologists that I worked with in the beginning and throughout this project, Dr. Shane Garrow, who studies sperm whales in Dominica mm-hmm. in the Eastern Caribbean, he, he described it this way. He said, behavior is what we do. Culture is how we do it. So, for example, most humans eat food with utensils. That is behavior. But whether you use chopsticks or knives and forks, that is culture. So, you know, I started to look at what he was doing with sperm whales. So he had identified, uh, for example, about 24 families of sperm whales in the Eastern Caribbean that all spoke the same dialect. They all had essentially the same language. And he said that they were not intermingling with other sperm whales that came into those waters that spoke a different language. The first thing that they do when they meet another sperm whale is say where they're from. So they say, I am from Dominica. And if the other whale says, I am from Haiti, they go somewhere else. They go their own ways. So to me, this was the the neighborhoods of New York at the turn of the 20th century. You had the Irish and the Italians and all these little enclaves. And I started to look at other species, humpbacks and belugas and orca, and saw that there were, you know, international cuisine preferences. The orca in New Zealand were uh, feeding on different things than the ones in another place, and that that was their culture, and that they were teaching their their young this Mm -hmm. stuff too. They were passing on these ancestral traditions. So I sort of, you know, extrapolated, I looked at different species, and then sort of built the the project uh, based on that science. That's incredible. 
you know, I think that's one of the coolest things about whales is they're kind of the gateway into our understanding of other animals. Um, and I think your film did yeah. a really great job of um, articulating a, that and showing it to us. Um, I think the the scene, can I talk about the scenes that are in the movie? Yeah, yeah, okay. of course. Um, where the orca brought you food was incredible. Like, how how was that experience? It was extraordinary. I mean, I've I've been exploring the world's oceans and making pictures for over four decades. And I've had some amazing experience with wildlife. But, you know, that experience in New Zealand, first of all, for context, you know, um, I had just come from six weeks in the Canadian Arctic, and I'd been traveling nonstop. New Zealand was one of the briefer trips of, of the three-year, 24 locations mm -hmm. that we did. So I only had about 10 days in New Zealand. I was working with a researcher there named Ingrid Visser, who's mm -hmm. dedicated her lives to working with orcas. And she put out the word, you know, for anybody in New Zealand that was seeing orca, because you just never know if you're going to even find them. So we were, I was staying at a motel and you would get a call on a given day at maybe six in the morning. And then we'd have to jump in the truck, drive three hours, get to the boat ramp, launch a boat, go out. So all of that happened. We find the orcas. She positions the boat. She tells me when to wait and when to get in. I finally get in the water. I swim towards them in this sort of green water. And not, now, not only do I see the orca, but this female is swimming toward me with this stingray hanging out of her mouth. So now we got the behavior. And I'm thinking, this is the moment. Got to get the, the footage, get the pictures. And then she drops it. So I'm thinking, oh man, it's over, you know? So I just swam down to the bottom and I knelt on the sand next to the ray. And then she comes back and she swims behind my back, emerges out my left side, positions herself directly in front of me. So there's the whale, there's the, the stingray, and there's me. And she's looking at me, looking at the ray, looking at me, looking at the ray, as if to say, are you gonna eat that? Um, and then when I don't pick it up, she just gently bends over and picks it up and then you know, sort of holds it, I, I get the shot. And then she turns and another member of her family comes in and they food share. So I remember what James Cameron said to me, it was, he was screening the footage and he was like, you know, some cultures offering food, of course, is what they do. So maybe that's what was happening here. And I sort of thought about that after the fact and um, I feel bad that I didn't eat it, you know, so. Fair enough. Yeah, we wanna be culturally mindful of the whales as well. <laughs> That's right, exactly. That's so interesting. Um, I know with humpbacks, we think that they have empathy, or some people think that. Do you think that maybe that's what it was with the orca offering you food? You know, they absolutely have empathy, and these are the kinds of things that we saw. You know, um, I, I set out with a shot list of things I wanted to accomplish for Secrets of the Whales, and we got all of those things and much more, like the, mm -hmm. the scene. But personality and emotion also came through, grief and joy, empathy, love. Um, you know, it could be, I mean, you know, Sigourney Weaver in the, in the narration says, she, maybe this orca mom was thinking I looked like a skinny orca and just needed some food. Um, nobody's ever accused me of being skinny. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's hard to say, I mean, I think there's a fine line, I mean, between anthropomorphizing and, mm -hmm. and going too deep. But that being said, I think that line has, you know, been changed. We've moved the, that line because we are seeing these things, you know, uh, died in the wool traditional scientists who a few years ago or, you know, decade ago would never have given credibility to personality and emotion and all of these things. Now we're readily admitting that that's real with many animals, but, but certainly with whales, big brain, sentient, 
rich cultures. Um, no, no question. There's empathy there. Absolutely. Yeah. It is interesting to see that shift from, you know, not thinking that they maybe don't have their own personalities or cultures to seeing that they truly do just like us. Um, I always ask people, because this podcast is all about the Southern residents, what we can learn from them. But I'm curious what you think that we can learn from all the whales that you've interacted with. Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, It's interesting, the juxtaposition. So I spent three years on this, uh, going from one location to the next, sort of nonstop for three years. And then the pandemic hit, and I was home, locked down with my family, like so many of us. And um, I think in the time since, what I've sort of reflected on is that what I learned from the whales are really a reminder of things that, that I already knew or that we already knew. I see these animals that have difficult lives in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So sperm whales, they spend most of their life in the deep ocean. They're down hundreds of meters every you know day, most of their days foraging for food, for squid. Uh, but yet every day or every couple of days, these families make time to socialize. They stop, they come together, and they just spend time in each other's company, sort of reaffirming those family bonds. They're rubbing and gently biting each other. You see them close their eyes. And what I experienced was that it it was joyful for them. It was like bliss. Um, So even though life is tough, they they have known, they know that those moments um, with each other are really important. The beluga whales, you know, we designed and built special cameras to capture stuff that's never been seen before. And again, these are animals living in the Arctic. They have predators around. They have to catch food. They have to take care of their their young. They're doing all of these things. But yet we capture this behavior where they pick up little stones and play games. They do things that are fun, that are joyful, that make them happy. So, you know, I think in this year after pandemic, reminded, being reminded that family community, that we need each other, that we are social creatures and that we thrive with each other was the the takeaway for me. Absolutely. And, you know, I totally agree with you. I spent a decent amount of time with whales myself and I've seen that out there that they do play and they have these really tight knit bonds that are quite incredible. Um, It's amazing. I'm curious. So you worked with Disney and you obviously are a National Geographic photographer. What, um, You know, what about working with Disney made it so special? Well, you know, as a storyteller, the the goal is always to amplify your message. If you, mm-hmm. all of the stories that I do are my ideas, I create them. And if I'm deeply invested in a project to, enough to propose it, mm-hmm. then you want to get it out there in front of as many people as you can. Um, when I created Secrets of the Whales, it sort of grew organically. I started as a magazine story. But given the scope of what I wanted to do, I went to the National Geographic Society and proposed a a three-year fellowship um, that they approved. Then I went to the Nat Geo Channel and sort of sold the idea of a a documentary. They scaled it up to a series. Then I did a book. Um, So all of those platforms are really important. But the Disney component is just wonderful because, you know, to to have it on streaming, first of all, where people can watch it anytime they want, day or night, go back and watch it again and again and again, and to reach, you know, 100 million subscribers as of today is really special. I think that just brings uh, a lot more of a spotlight to this message. So for me, it, it couldn't have been better, but it, it was all organic. It, it We had the idea and it just sort of amplified over time. That's incredible. Um, Why do you think it's so important that people know about these whales? 
You know, I think for me, this was not only the most ambitious project of my career, but the one that I'm maybe most deeply invested in because so much of my work has been about conservation and, and looking at environmental problems and solutions over the years. But without overtly being a conservation story, Secrets of the Whales could be the most important conservation mm-hmm. story because if viewers see the ocean and ultimately our planet through the lens of culture with these sentient creatures in the ocean, there's no unknowing that. Once you know that, once you know that they have these rich societies and mm-hmm. emotions and their their children and they're living this life in the ocean, maybe we see our view with nature a little bit different. No longer are we apart from or above nature, but we are intimately connected to it. And even though we are terrestrial creatures, we live on a water planet. Every other breath that we take comes from the ocean. The ocean is the greatest carbon sink. It Mm -hmm. takes in carbon, gives us back oxygen. So, you know, the fact that we've taken 90% of the big fish out of the ocean, we put 18 billion pounds of plastic in the ocean every year. We're putting so much carbon in the atmosphere that the chemistry is becoming acidic in the ocean that we've lost half the world's coral reefs. You know, the whales serve as an ambassador. They are the, the, the you know, sort of an equal uh, bar with us uh, on land and in the ocean. And, and they can speak for the broader need to conserve this, this ocean planet. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you're right on with that. And I see that with the Southern residents a lot. People gain, you know, um, an interest in salmon or other species, for example, because of the Southern okay. resident killer whales. A- absolutely. I think, you know, the more we know about these animals and and the connectivity, how everything is connected. It's not looking at things in a silo. Uh, That's how I used to be, you know, Mm -hmm. decades ago when I did my stories, I would just focus on great white sharks or seals or whatever. But the beauty of doing it over time, and I'm sure you you can appreciate this as well, Mm -hmm. you see how everything is connected. It's like the gears of a finely made watch or clock and, you know, one needs the other. Nothing operates in a vacuum. The giant whales, need tiny copepods or krill and, um, you know, coral reefs need seagrass beds and mangroves. Everything is ultimately connected and land and ocean and air. It's all part of one big machine. So how we treat one part ultimately affects everything. Absolutely. Um, And it's definitely important that we take care of our ocean. What advice do you have for our listeners who are interested in helping conserving our world's oceans? Well, it's such an important question. I think that you know, the easiest answer, the simplest answer is to be an informed consumer Mm -hmm. and to be an informed citizen. The more that we know, listening to podcasts, reading, you know, the more information we have, the better decisions we can make about our choices and and our, our ultimately our planet. So when you go to the grocery store, choosing not to buy single use plastic containers for water or whatever you consume, mm-hmm. uh, making choices about seafood, getting a seafood watch card from an aquarium or from National Geographic or someplace to know what things you could eat that are better for the ocean, being an informed citizen, you know, electing candidates that believe in science and conservation. I mean, these things have direct impact on your life. You know, I, I believe that we're living at a moment in history where maybe for the first time, We understand both the problems and the solutions. And the question is, you know, will we simply bear witness to the demise or will we, as Cousteau urged a generation ago, protect what we love? 
I think we'll do the latter, but it's going to take information and, and a bit of a battle and the window of opportunity is closing. I remain cautiously optimistic, but, but we, we have a, a short time to do it right. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And we use that term cautious optimism on here all the time because that's a reoccurring theme in this field. Um, well, I'm super excited for your film. And can you tell our listeners where they can find it and when? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Secrets of the Whales begins streaming on Disney Plus on Earth Day. So I guess at midnight or just after midnight on, on Earth Day, it'll be available. All four episodes, a little... Um, uh, pieces at the end by James Cameron, sort of giving a little, um, you know, re retake on those things. So you can watch it all on, on Disney Plus starting on Earth Day. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And thanks for, you know, sharing this work with everyone. I think it's going to be eye opening for a lot of people to see these whales in this light. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure. And I hope we can do it again. Yes, absolutely. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Be sure to check out the docu-series on Disney+. Plus. It comes out on Earth Day, April 22nd, so don't forget to do that. And be sure to tune in on Friday for our latest episode. Hope you guys have a whale of a week.